Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. This podcast contains mature content and listener discretion is advised. Also, be advised, we are not medical professionals and this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. It is a true emergency. Quick, run. We love aliens. And we're in. We're in. Welcome to Mystery Team Inc. The podcast the government doesn't want you to know about. (laughs) (laughs) We don't even say that much mean stuff about the government. I mean, on here. (laughs) We don't say that much mean stuff about the government on here. (laughs) That we keep in. That we keep in. My editing graveyard is <laughs> the, full of the, treason. The version of the podcast that the government listens to live <laughs> through our phones when it's recording is probably much more explicit and filled with anti-government sentiment, huh? Oh, we're in danger. <laughs> <laughs> and now you are too. <laughs> Welcome. Shall we ceremonially quack the beers? Yes. To what Ready? do we quack? To the new year and to us, my friend. To the new friend and to us the year. Great. Nailed it. (laughs) I haven't done this in so long. The crisp, refreshing taste of friendship. Not that good. Okay. Well, maybe it's not (laughs) friendship fun. No, it's not. (laughs) Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. You ready for a mystery? I'm so excited. Yes. Two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Highgate, where we lay our scene, from ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. February 27th, 1970, the Hampstead and Highgate Express newspaper published an article under the headline, Does a Vampire Walk in Highgate? We don't want to frighten you, the article opened. But the ghost of Highgate Cemetery might be a vampire. This is the story of the Highgate Vampire. A story of a vampire, a cemetery, and a legendary rivalry between two vampire hunters. What? This is the Highgate Vampire. I don't know what the Highgate Vampire is. You've never heard this story. I've never heard I of it. I was 100% sure you would have heard of it. Nope. Well, you're going to love it. Fuckle the buck up. <laughs> I'm so excited. I love that this started with R and J. That was a editorial choice on my part, yeah. Phenomenal choice. Thank you. It hooked me from minute one, but then I was like, <laughs> hold on. Is there like a Shakespeare mystery that I don't know about? Shakespeare will be quoted once more in this story, but not by me. I'm thrilled. I'm hoping this is like some kind like a va- it's is it a vampire 
sorry, vampire rivalry? Are it's, they It's a vampire hunter rivalry. Okay. I'm in. Great. For sources, I used the book True Tales of Unexplained Mysteries by Steph Young, an article called The Bizarre True Story of the Highgate Vampire Feud by Tom Quackenbush, and mm-hmm. so Quackenbush. many blogspot blogs that I literally can't <laughs> name them all. I'm just going to have to link them in the show notes. Allow me to set the scene. Highgate Cemetery. In the 1800s, Highgate Cemetery was like the place in England to be buried. It was like the Sir of Victorian cemeteries. It is the final resting place for Karl Marx, several mayors of London, and George Eliot, a.k.a. Marianne Evans, author of The Mill on the Floss. It's where Elizabeth Seidel is buried, who was Ophelia in the famous Ophelia painting by John Everett Millay. Oh, wow. It is more recently the resting place of Douglas Adams, author of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I love him. And the singer George Michael. Um, we love him. We do. Due to the Victorian fascination with Egypt, it also includes an area which is, according to the author, called the Egyptian Avenue. And it has large terraced catacombs cut into the hillside. Oh my god, it sounds like something I would build in Roller Coaster Tycoon. It looks like that. It, um, <laughs> we should go there sometime. It's beautiful. The pictures are beautiful. Just so everyone's aware, when you imagine this, it's not like a typical American graveyard that just is like a field with like tombstones on it. It has a very distinct sort of architecture to it, and it's a lot of mausoleums and vaults. So when you're walking through it, you can't necessarily see around a corner. You know what I mean? It's like being in, in a little city of mausoleums. Mm-hmm. The year was 1969. Nice. Highgate Cemetery had, <laughs> Highgate Cemetery had fallen into disrepair. Vandalism had left several tombs broken into, gravestones broken, and graves desecrated. A number of reports have been coming into the British Psychic and Occult Society regarding a black apparition in Highgate Cemetery. And also, it had been spotted on the adjoining street, Swain's Lane. I also read that sightings in the cemetery go back to Victorian times. Like, it was very well haunted. (laughs) According to David Ferrant, then president of the British Psychic and Occult Society, and one of the heroes of our story... The only reasonable response to these reports was to investigate. Am I going to have a crush? Yes. David Ferrant looks like goth Matthew Lillard. (gasps) Uh. And I wrote, unfortunately, would have probably been one of my ex-boyfriends in his youth. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm in love. David Ferrant went to the cemetery in the daylight and discovered that the cemetery had been vandalized. He writes, vaults had been broken open and coffins quite literally smashed apart. One vault near the top gate, although not visible from outside it, was wide open and one could see the remains of a skeleton where it had been wrenched from a coffin. But outside of the vandalism, the visit rendered little in the way of solving the mystery, so it was decided that he would spend a night in the cemetery. Yes. The BPOS, British Psychic and Occult Society, decided that the best night would be December 21st, a.k.a. the winter solstice, quote, when potent psychic forces have easy access to the earthly plane. David went to the cemetery, stopping at the gates and waiting to see what he could see inside. It was at this point, looking through the bars of the gate, that he encountered the apparition. He writes, 
Suddenly, something caught my eye, and looking up just inside, not five yards from the gate, and clearly visible, was a tall, dark shape. Instinctively, my conscious mind rejected this figure as being supernatural. It was more consoling to assume that it was somebody wandering through the cemetery, notwithstanding that the figure appeared to be over seven feet tall. Any immediate doubts were soon dispelled when I saw two reddish eyes meeting my gaze from a black mass at the top of the shape, which I took to be its head. But these eyes were not human, rather reflected some alive presence. They were dull and penetrating like some hungry wolf, although the rest of it had no discernible features apart from a vague human shape. The whole situation seemed unreal, like someone wanted dream, but with determined effort I tore my gaze away, realizing that the entity was malevolent and that I had come under psychic attack. Without warning, the figure then suddenly vanished, and it appeared that for the moment, at least, the entity had retreated. David Ferrant wrote a letter to the Hampstead and High Express newspaper on February 6, 1970, detailing three occasions on which he had claimed to see the apparition. Other sightings of the Highgate vampire included one from a man who wished to remain anonymous, but who is remembered historically as an accountant named Thornton. Thornton. Brush alert. <laughs> bachelor alert. Wait, wait, wait. I don't know why the bachelor is the three little pigs. Um, Thornton claimed to have been walking around the cemetery when he realized he had gotten turned around and couldn't find his way out. In one account, I read that he heard a bell toll. As he walked toward the sound, he suddenly became aware of a presence behind him. When he turned around, he saw a tall, dark figure hovering above the ground. He felt suddenly that he was stuck to the ground and couldn't move. All his energy was drained from him by some hypnotic force. Then the figure vanished. He described it as intrinsically evil and believed that it was a malevolent force. Then there was another witness, who is only ever described as an old lady, which, come on. I think we can do better than that. That's how I feel. She was walking her dog past the cemetery when the dog started to whine and refused to walk any further. When she turned toward the cemetery, she saw, quote, a tall, dark man floating toward her from the graves. She felt the air turn icy cold as she saw its glaring eyes staring at her. I think we should consider that the vampire may have been an emu in a bowl cut. It does have the same vibe of just, like, standing there, <laughs> yeah. not being quite Staring. sure what's going on. Like, reddish eyes. Like, <laughs> reddish eyes, smooth like, brain. Like, was it a bird? <laughs> reddish eyes, smooth brain. No thinky, <laughs> just starey. Listen, I'm open to that suggestion. Shortly after publishing David Ferrant's account of his interview with a vampire, the Hampstead and High Express newspaper published its February 27th headline, Does a Vampire Walk in Highgate? And I need you to know that they spell it W-A-M-P-Y-R. I was about to ask, You're like, welcome. does the spelling warrant the pronunciation or are we just going to do this for fun? But absolutely it does. Yes. We don't want to frighten you. The article opened but the ghost of Highgate Cemetery might be a vampire. Where are they getting that from? Just wait. Okay. The Ham and High had sat down with the president of the British Occult Society, not to be confused with the British Psychic and Occult Society, of which David Ferrant was the president. This is going to be Crowley all over again. It truly is such Crowley and WB Yeats vibes. It's exactly yeah, it's that. All, this is all that. I can think about. 
100% and going through this, just remember that this is 100% like them reincarnated. <laughs> the Ham and High sat down with the British... Wait. The Ham and High, which is the newspaper, the Ham and High, like the Hampstead and Highgate Express. It's affectionately mm-hmm. referred to as the Ham and High. The Ham and High sat down with the president of the British Occult Society, not to be confused with the British Psychic and Occult Society, of which David Ferrant was president. This president was what the paper also described as a local photographer, 25, who would become the other central figure in our story. His name is Sean Manchester. Sean Manchester looks like John Cleese playing a priest. (laughs) He looks... He's, like, handsome. Oh, no. Yes, okay. So 100% you would date goth Matthew Lillard and I would date the handsome priest. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. Here's the thing. is your word. Let me... Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say, I'm the only one who thinks he's handsome. (laughs) Sean Manchester calls himself a bishop, and he dresses in clergy clothing, but to be honest, I could not, nor has anyone, it seems, ever been able to corroborate the fact that he is actually a bishop as far as any outside authority is concerned. I love that. Live your truth, or your lie, I guess. (laughs) I will now read the article to you. Mr. Manchester. Oh, and by the way, David Ferrant was 24 at the time, and Sean Manchester was 25. What are we doing? I know. We, we have wasted. We need we, to get in more. We wasted our cryptid youth. hunting feuds. What were we doing? Mr. Manchester, a 25 year old photographer, said The phenomenon reported by Highgate people in letters to the Ham and High is not merely the apparition of an earthbound spirit, which is relatively harmless, but much worse that of a vampire, or as it is more popularly known, a vampire. <laughs> and they spelled it. I like that they had to clarify. They had to print it. And uh, this is still from the article. His theory is that the king vampire of the undead, originally no. a nobleman who dabbled in black magic in medieval Wallachia, somewhere near Turkey, in quotes, walks again. Oh, this is a quote. His followers eventually brought him to England in a coffin at the beginning of the 18th century and bought a house for him in the West End, said Mr. Manchester. (laughs) His unholy resting place became Highgate Cemetery. Why did they buy a house for him on the West End? (laughs) That will actually come back later. (laughs) But must be nice. originally brought him over and bought him a house in West Hollywood. Yeah. Like, (laughs) that was nice of them. Yeah, wow. When parts of Britain were plagued by vampirism centuries ago, the Highgate area was the center of a lot of activity. It has been ever since. This is a quote. And now that there is so much desecration of graves by Satanism, I'm convinced that this has been happening in Highgate Cemetery in an attempt by a body of Satanists to resurrect the King Vampire. This has everything. This is basically (laughs) like if you set the pilot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in... 1969 like they have the satanic panic plus the master yes coming back to life yeah unbelievable unlike the british society for psychic research the british occult society which has no formal membership but has correspondence from quote 50 to 100 interested people (laughs) believes in quote so do we (laughs) i love this newspaper so also, by the way, like later, Sean Manchester disputed that and was like, it does have a formal membership. Um, and it's more like 100 to 115. <laughs> believes in, quote, countering magic with magic. Some adherents have spent nights in Highgate Cemetery. 
Mr. Manchester added, We would like to exercise the vampire by the traditional and approved manner. Drive a stake through its heart with one blow just after dawn between Friday and Saturday. Chop off the head with a gravedigger shovel and burn what remains. This is what the clergy did centuries ago, but we'd be breaking the law today. I didn't know it had to be between Friday and Saturday. Who knew? Capitalism strikes again. Well, Thursday is hair wash day. So it can't be that day. And Tuesday is voting day. Yeah. This is still the not this is still the article. He learned about vampires from books by a clergyman, the Reverend Montague Summers, an authority on the occult, and Bram Stoker's novels are based on facts that people told him they had heard, he added. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just a second. He said Bram Stoker's novels mm-hmm. are based on facts mm-hmm. that people mm-hmm. told him mm-hmm. he they. that they they had heard. Mm-hmm. He added. <laughs> <laughs> because you know that was him being like, oh, and yes. write this down. Yeah, correct. <laughs> One of Britain's busiest exorcists, which is like a title we'd all love to have. Um, oh, my dream. One of Britain's busiest exorcists, the Reverend John Neil Smith, vicar of St. Saviour's in Eaton Road, Hampstead, said, I believe the whole idea of vampires is probably a novelistic embellishment. All right, exorcist. Right? Ugh. Party pooper. And so it was that the Highgate vampire was born. In later interviews, Sean Manchester would deny that he said the thing about the king vampire and that that was, quote, journalistic embellishment. I bet he said it. What? Yeah. (laughs) The public frenzy surrounding the Highgate vampire was compounded by another spooky event that occurred at a nearby cemetery two years earlier, as reported by the London Evening News. Quote, on the night of Halloween 1968, a graveyard desecration by persons unknown occurred at Tottenham Park Cemetery in London. These persons arranged flowers taken from graves in circular patterns with arrows of blooms pointing to a new grave, which was uncovered. A coffin was opened and the body inside disturbed. But their most macabre act was driving an iron stake in form across through the lid and into the breast of the corpse. Whoa. Yes. And not a point to be lost in all of this, that that there was during this time and throughout this story, a lot of grave desecration and a lot of people who were genuinely like families who were probably genuinely hurt by this. Yeah. In March of 1970, David Ferrant found the Fox. The Ham and High published an article under the headline, why do the foxes die? Here is an excerpt. What? Who was writing this newspaper? I will say that later, uh, it was like alleged, or like people on the internet have alleged from correspondences with the newspaper editors that they played these stories for laughs. It's working. Tobacconist Mr. David Ferrant, 24, who first reported seeing the ghost last month, returned to the spot last weekend and discovered a dead fox. Several other foxes have also been found dead in the cemetery, he said at his home in Highgate. The odd thing is there was no outward sign of how they died. Much remains unexplained, but what I have recently learnt all points to the vampire theory being the most likely answer. Should this be so, I for one am prepared to pursue it, taking whatever means might be necessary so that we can all rest. This article was published along with a picture of David Ferrant and Sean Manchester, with Ferrant pointing out where he had seen the fox to Sean Manchester. 
It is the first public appearance of the two together that we have a record of. And so it was that the Highgate vampire found itself with two vampire hunters. Oh my god. And then the TV interviews began. On Friday the 13th of March 1970, an interview with Sean Manchester aired on TV where he announced that he would hold an official vampire hunt that night. (gasps) No. That night... Swarms of novice vampire hunters, numbering in the hundreds, descended on the cemetery, while police attempted to put up barricades to keep them out. David Ferrant and Sean Manchester were both there, and according to Sean, while the police were distracted by the crowds, he and his assistants, his magical assistants, (laughs) Mm -hmm. snuck into the cemetery. You see, allegedly, Sean Manchester had been helping a young woman who is referred to as Lucia, who was having nightmares and visits from apparitions. And at some point during this relationship, she had led them to a mausoleum in the cemetery while sleepwalking. Which, it's been a while since I've read Dracula, but isn't that exactly what Lucy does? I don't know. I'm pretty sure, because Lucy, like, is sleepwalking, which is what makes her vulnerable to Dracula. And don't they follow her in the night? And she leads them to his lair? Like, lair? I don't think that I've ever read Dracula. Okay. Well, we're going to have to revisit it or visit it for the first time. So, that night, while novice vampire hunters swarmed the gates of Highgate Cemetery. Allegedly, Sean Manchester and his magical assistants approached the mausoleum and attempted to enter it, but finding that the door wouldn't open, they allegedly scaled down into the mausoleum on a rope through a hole in the roof and anointed the inside with holy water and garlic. Sorry, they what? They scaled into the mausoleum mm-hmm. on a rope? Yes. Through a hole no, they didn't. in the roof. No, they didn't. Allegedly. and that is where we will pick back up after the break oh (laughs) we'll be right back after these messages this episode is brought to you by conceptus the first book in the laura drummond mystery series by brian herskowitz 24 years after barely surviving a brutal attack when she was just 14, homicide detective Laura Drummond is on the trail of a serial killer. A serial killer whose M.O. seems eerily similar to the attack that nearly took her life. Now she must face her past in order to catch the killer. Conceptus is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold online. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. And we're back. We're back. Welcome to Soothing Existential Nighttime Radio. SXNR has resumed broadcasting after being rescued from a wormhole in which we were broadcasting on a frequency only dogs can hear. 
In other news, if your dog has been exhibiting symptoms of existential terror, you may be entitled to compensation. When we last left <laughs> our heroes, they were infiltrating a cemetery. Mm. They were like heisting into a cemetery. Correct. Like Mission Impossible style yes. through from the ceiling on a rope. Ugh, I just don't believe it, but... According to David Ferrand, the British Psychic and Occult Society's investigation into the Highgate Vampire had begun in earnest in January of 1970. And according to David, they discovered that satanic masses had been taking place in the cemetery, some inside the maze of catacombs beneath the cemetery. This is a quote. One particular tomb hidden deep within the heart of the cemetery... In fact, a small mausoleum with a marble floor, but which contained no coffins, had been converted into a small temple, and, judging from the inverted pentagram and magical symbols inscribed on the floor and walls, was in regular usage. But more significant still was the fact that the particular magical signs and symbols used could only be applicable in a rite dedicated to one of the most malign deities to rule amongst the old kings of hell, and that such a rite could only be performed by the highest of adepts, for no amateur would be capable of calling forth this deform. He goes on to say, It was therefore quite feasible to assume that the cemetery phenomenon was an evil entity that had been summoned up as the direct result of a satanic ritual, or alternatively, that the Satanists had succeeded in awakening the latter-day vampire which had laid dormant for so long. Mitch McConnell. <laughs> yeah, when he said latter-day vampire in my head, I just imagine, like, are you, have you heard the good word of our Lord and Savior? <laughs> like, Hello. <laughs> My name is the vampire. I love that they have managed to satanic panic like a uh, like sexy vampire rivalry. Like me too. I love this it. This so could much. have gone in so many directions, and like Mission Impossible satanic panic is like not where I would have written it. <laughs> but <laughs> it takes all kinds. Then something very real happened in the cemetery. Just like everything else that very real has happened so far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> on august 1st 1970 the burnt and headless remains of a woman who had been entombed in the cemetery were found by three schoolgirls laying on the path outside the mausoleum that she had been interred in since the 1920s what? the police believed that the remains had been used in a black magic ritual on august 17th of 1970, David Ferrant and some members of the British Psychic and Occult Society, not to be confused with the British Occult Society, returned to the cemetery to hunt the vampire and perform a ceremony. However, once their ceremony began, they heard muffled noises, and the noises revealed themselves to be perhaps the most terrifying specter of all, the police. <sighs> the police arrested David Ferrant, and he was reportedly found armed with a cross and a stake, is that armed? <laughs> I mean, he had them in his arms. I don't think that's what it means. <laughs> well, get this. He was charged with being in an enclosed area for an unlawful purpose, which is... If it had not been enclosed, would it have not law. been a law, like a crime? Well, don't worry, because the charges were dismissed because the judge declared that the cemetery is not an enclosed area in the legal sense. 
what's the legal sense? <laughs> what gets me about it is that it's like, especially in this specific moment, it's like, I have a problem with something that doesn't make any sense. And then you're like, wait, but don't worry, because I'll fix it with this other thing that in and of itself doesn't make any sense. Like, I was like, is he armed if he has a cross? And then you're like, well, don't worry, because it wasn't an enclosed space legally. But then it's like, <laughs> why? <laughs> why is what's the what? Meanwhile, we're just not going to solve any of those problems. I'm just going to live in. This. And now for something completely different. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sean Manchester and his group, the British Occult Society, not to be confused with the British Psychic and Occult Society, came to the cemetery. According to him, they were able to open the door to a vault where they suspected that the vampire was housed. It's worth noting that this was a different vault from the original vault that the sleepwalking girl, Lucia, had led them to. Because I guess vampires have backup mausoleums? Don't you? It's legally not an enclosed space, so why would you not have more than one? I, I like to imagine that vampires are like hermit crabs. Oh. And, like, when they, like, outgrow a vault, they, like, line up. Everybody gets in the next bigger mm-hmm. vault. Yeah. Aww. They allegedly broke into the crypt, opened the coffin, and found the flesh and blood vampire, allegedly. Question. <laughs> Do vampires have blood in them? The blood that they consume. Allegedly, Sean Manchester rose his arm high above the creature, ready to plunge the stake into its heart, when suddenly his assistant stopped him. And they all decided not to do it because it was a crime. (laughs) And so they decided they would sprinkle some holy water on it and call it a day. Is that also a crime? Mm, uh, Debatable. Okay. I mean, I don't know. I honestly have no idea, like, really even what, like, laws of physics are governing the reality they all live in. So, like, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Breaking the law. Breaking, breaking the law. (laughs) I did watch an interview with David Ferrant for the BBC program 24 Hours about the Highgate vampire. It's my favorite thing because (laughs) there's a shot from inside the cemetery of the cemetery wall. And the top of it is out of frame. And the whole thing is obscured by foliage and trees. And the host says, Ferent was forced to enter by the back wall. And then David plops down into frame with like a little noise from out of the trees, like a little chupacabra. And the host goes, as he still does today. (laughs) And I lost my mind <laughs> it was great I'll maybe I'll try to find it and put it on our YouTube I, or on our I wonder if this is just like a huge like group effort to like s- create like like is this like an improv everywhere of the 60s like I just can't <laughs> I hope so like so much of it is so goofy that it's I so like good. can't wrap my head around <laughs> it's really good even that documentary, like, sounds, like, too goofy to be real. I'm obsessed. It's just, like, the sound. Like, I can imagine the sound. And in my I'll head, it's wearing, you. like, a duster. I'm going to send it to you. I'm so excited. A reporter named Barry Simmons went with David Ferrant to the cemetery one night in October of 1970. Um, since his court case, they the British 
psychic and occult society had been holding a vigil at the cemetery every night. And so on this particular night, oh Barry Simmons went with David Ferrant to the cemetery in October of 1978 to hunt the vampire. Have there been sightings since the rivalry started? I don't remember if it's before this precise moment or after, but there was another sighting with a young woman. Okay. At some point after this all started, there was a young woman who was walking by the cemetery and she on Swain's Lane and she found herself, quote, thrown to the ground with violent force by a tall black figure with a translucent face. And she actually went to the police station and filed a report and she had like bruises on her body and she was treated for shock. Oh, wow. Okay. Because it's hard to like, because of how goofy everything is, I like forget how real it is. It could be, yeah, <laughs> for some people for sure. And then Sean Manchester, there was like another account from a young, like school aged girl uh, who had like walked by the cemetery and had claimed to like see people like rising from the tombs. <gasps> Hate that. I know. In October of 1970, this reporter went to the cemetery with David Ferrant. He reported that David, 24, was all set, kitted out with all the gear required by any self-respecting vampire hunter, clutched under his arm in a Sainsbury's carrier bag. <laughs> Which, if you've never been to England, Sainsbury's is like Safeway. Or like I Kroger. love Sainsbury's. So he was like carrying it in a Sainsbury's bag. Later on the internet, David would write, It was actually in a tote. <laughs> it was actually in a Trader Joe's, um, cotton cold Trader Joe's insulated bag. <laughs> Much has apparently been made of this latter remark on the internet with implications that this was a form of unprofessionalism in the vampire hunting trade. But think about it, if you will. What could be a more professional way of averting suspicion at night than carrying a harmless Sainsbury bag of provisions? Surely no professional would attempt to go vampire hunting in a semi-patrolled cemetery at night armed with a fake antique portmanteau containing garlic, hammers and steaks, and a bottle of holy tap water. Which I think must have been a dig at Sean Manchester. Sean Manchester published a book entitled The Highgate Vampire. Ferrant published a book titled Beyond the Highgate Vampire. <laughs> Stop. Yeah, they both wrote books. Actually, Sean Manchester wrote several books. Now, if Sean Manchester is to be believed, the rivalry between Sean Manchester and David Ferrant began when Ferrant allegedly made what are referred to as black magic phone calls. To their acquaintance, John Bradish and his wife. Hey, is your refrigerator running? I think it literally was probably that. <laughs> but it was like in Latin. <laughs> I if I if I had it in me, I would translate it is your refrigerator <laughs> running into Latin. Yeah. According to commenters on the internet, John Bradish had made a pass at Ferent's wife the year before. And after making the calls, Ferrant then allegedly convinced John and his wife that Sean Manchester was the one who made the calls, which led John to assault Sean Manchester at the entrance to the North London offices of the British Occult Society. Whoa. We don't know how much of this is true, except we know that that assault happened because there was a court case about it, which Sean Manchester won where John Bradish was convicted of assaulting him. And we do know that he referenced the black magic phone calls 
in the court case to like mitigate the charges as far as the internet is concerned calling it black magic phone calls just (laughs) reminds me of crowley being like oh they're using magic against me because he keeps like tripping 100 percent like my umbrella wouldn't open it was a psychic attack like he called and like he picked up the phone and someone was like idiot says what and he was like what oh it's black (laughs) magic and then like It very much does sound like Crowley being like, and then my horse ran away, and then my umbrella wouldn't open. WB Yates is psychically attacking me, making black magic phone calls to a demon. Not long, and all of that is like if Sean Manchester's to be believed. I don't know if that's truly where the where the rivalry started or where the the feuding started, but from what I understand, the first time that it publicly appeared. Was not long after this when rumors were spread that David Ferrant was going to sacrifice a cat as part of a black magic ritual. Whether or not David said that himself is to be disputed. One article I read said that Atlas Obscura reported that he said that blood must be spilled and that the cat will be anesthetized, like in a newspaper. But apparently, Sean Manchester came back and told the press, My opponent intends to raise a demon to destroy me by killing a cat. I will be relying solely on divine power. Oh my God. Guys. So like at this point, John Manchester clearly th- thought that David Ferrant was out to get him for yeah. reasons unknown. He claims it was the John Bradish incident. If that's how that went down, I don't blame him. Sure. When a local man's cat didn't come home, <laughs> the Royal no. Society for the Protection of Animals and the media immediately came for David Ferrant, alleging that he had killed the cat in a black magic ritual. However, the cat did return home unharmed a few days later, and David sued a newspaper for calling him a cat killer. (laughs) This is so dumb. And so the feud between the rival vampire hunters escalated to the point that in 1973, flyers began appearing around London advertising a wizard's duel between David (gasps) Ferrant and Sean Manchester, scheduled for April 13th. That's absolutely... That's just excellent. Is there going to be a duel? No. Ugh. Unfortunately, the duel never came to pass. Damn it. In 1974, David was found guilty of damaging memorials and interfering with remains at the cemetery. He did always adamantly deny doing so. The jury was shown a folder of pictures of naked women and corpses that allegedly belonged to him. He did admit to sending two voodoo dolls to police officers who were supposed to testify against a friend of his in a separate trial, and he did receive an additional prison term for threatening the police officers. He was sentenced to four years and eight months, and I believe he served three years of the sentence. Meanwhile, Sean Manchester claimed that when they had exercised the Tomb of the Vampire, again, the second time, the second tomb, They had not defeated it, but merely banished it from the tomb, whereupon it took up residence in a house nearby. I assume probably that house that they bought it in the West End. (laughs) According to Manchester, he and some members of the British Occult Society hunted it down and drove a proper stake through its heart this time. He does apparently include photos of the alleged vampire in his book, The Infernal World of the Undead, Unearthed at Highgate Cemetery and Environs. Which, for me, maybe could have used more workshopping on the title. No, I have no notes. 
The fact that they like didn't want to desecrate a corpse because it's illegal in the cemetery, but then later were like, but we tracked it to a house and then we really killed it. Feels a little bit like having a girlfriend in Canada that goes to a different school. <laughs> like, well, yeah. we didn't do it at the cemetery because it's illegal, but like I do have a girlfriend and she, I'm going to go to her formal. I'm going to her prom. Yeah. At some point, someone, not naming names, started publishing a comic called The Adventures of Bishop Bonkers. <laughs> authored under the nom de plume Cecil Lamont Dwiggins, for whom I could find no record of existence. The comic features David Ferrant as m- more so the, the hero of the story and a bishop named Bishop Bonkers, who's always doing dumb stuff. There are photos of David Ferrant wearing a Bishop Bonkers t-shirt. And can I just say, if anyone can find me one of those shirts, I would oh. really love it. My God. And you can find copies of the comic online. The rivalry between David and Sean continued for the rest of David's natural life. On the internet, they regularly engaged in flame wars, usually under pseudonyms or anonymously on each other's blogs. Oh my God. Most of the ones that I read, actually, David Ferrant is David Ferrant and Sean Manchester is using other names. Um, it's really like they were having full on live journal flame wars. I did find one where someone going by the name Vebjorn Hostafud wrote in a comment on an article about the Highgate vampire on the Kentish Towner website. There was no duel, however, and never the prospect of one as alleged in the tabloid press who were fed false promises by the duelist who failed to appear. The other chap, Sean Manchester, did appear, but not with any intention of inflicting harm. Quite the reverse. (laughs) David Ferrant comments on that article and says, I am not going to answer your cut and pasted comments, Sean. You are simply not worth entering into public conversation with. I really don't know why you bother, Sean. Everybody knows that it's really you. All capitals. And then he signs it. David Ferrant, president, British Psychic and Occult Society, parentheses, BPOS. The fact that he called him. <laughs> if you Sean Sean, if you go, and it's also funny because Sean uses an accent in his name. He puts an accent on the e, and so in the first comment there is an accent on the e, and then in David's he's like Sean with no accent. <laughs> um, if you go find their flame wars on the internet, which I will link in the show notes because they basically do this on every article about the Highgate vampire. <laughs> um. <laughs> It's always like it's always like someone under a pseudonym being like, I don't know about David Ferrand's dubious claims to have seen the vampire. Was it once or three times, David? And then it's always David being like, everyone knows it's you, Sean. So <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, that's not a direct quote, but. Oh, my and God. And David always signs his comments. David Ferrand, president, British Psychic and Occult Society, BPS. so funny. David Ferrant passed away on April 8th, 2019. Sean Manchester posted on Facebook about it. Oh, God. He did use the phrase, shuffled off this mortal coil. Of course he did. And he did end it saying, though he might not want my prayers, he has them anyway. May he rest in peace. And then we just hear, like, from from heaven, shut up, Sean. (laughs) No one asked you, Sean. Um, (laughs) 
their relationship does feel very like Sherlock and Moriarty to me. Like yes. as much as they hate each other, like they they need each other. They need each other. And if you get onto the right parts of Tumblr, they're in love. Exactly. And as far as I can tell from the internet, Sean Manchester did go back to saying mean stuff about David Parent, like <sighs> not long after he died. But that's neither here nor there. I did try to watch a twenty-minute YouTube video he made called "Farewell Ferent," and no. it features um, a sculpture of a bust that he made of David Ferent. Anyway, that's in neither love. here nor there. That's in love. They that love. that is the story of the Highgate Vampire. And there are many more accounts of encounters with the apparition. So if you want to read spooky stories, uh, I highly recommend looking up the Vampire of Highgate. And that's the story. That was phenomenal. It was it has very, everything. very Crowley. We love that. Yates. We love, we love a magical duel. Not the first time I've covered one. Not the last time. <laughs> I love a farcical rivalry. We love that. I love, we all know it's you, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we love pseudonyms. The only thing this mystery doesn't have is a deathbed confession. And you know what? But yet, I don't Sean think Manchester's it needs still it. alive. It doesn't need it. I will also say that Sean Manchester is very litigious, and he, to this day, goes after people on the internet who like reprint photos from his book and stuff. Like one article I was reading about this was like, and we did have a picture of this in our last article, but we did get a cease and desist from Sean Manchester and we took it down. Whatever, dude. So, we may get Kayla, you and I may get, we may get the wrath of Sean Manchester for doing this episode. I'm ready for a, like a review of the podcast. That's like these two girls don't even know what they're talking about under like a fake <laughs> Swedish name. Yeah. Under a fake name. And then we'll be like, we know it was you, Sean, and then <laughs> sign it as David. David. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. I loved that. Uh, I also loved that. Thank the you for vampire. making me laugh. Yeah. I love that story. I can't believe I hadn't heard it, and I'm very glad that I hadn't. Thank, Thank you, you so for much listening. for that. Thank you for listening. What a nice, fun little treat we just had. We love a spooky vampire. We love a vampire, a vampire. rivalry. We love a vampire feud. <laughs> also, it should be noted that David Ferrant did not like the term vampire hunter. So, well, he sorry. didn't think it was a vampire, right? Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> if I was a duck hunter and someone was like, oh, she's a deer hunter, I would be like, get out of here. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, and add Highgate to the list of places we need to go. Sleepy okay. Hollow. Highgate. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the story. We don't know. Stay in your lane. Buckle the buck up. Vampire Vampire smooches. Goodbye. Good night. (laughs) (laughs) Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey, are you a super fan of Taylor Swift, Jelly Roll, or Morgan Wallen? Are you that song nerd who likes to dive into every little lyric of every little song and figure out what everything means? Do you want to take that a bit further, though? 
because I have a podcast called Songwriter Soup, and it dives into the journey of a songwriter and how those people help craft the soundtrack of your life. I'm Laura Veltz, and I'm bringing all of my friends together to discuss our funny little job writing for all of your favorite artists. Listen to Songwriter Soup wherever you get your podcasts.